Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today at Word of Life. We know summer is busy with traveling and all things fun, but we have good news for you. You can stay in church even while on vacation through our online campus. You can watch live on Sundays at 10 and 1130 and get fed throughout the week with inspiring articles, message series, and so much more at thelifeonline.cc. Thank you for listening and enjoy the message. Thank you so much. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? Thank you, Chase. That was, you know, my wife and I, my wife Amanda here is on the front row. We're just so blessed to be here. And worshiping today, oh my goodness, I felt like we could have just kept going. You know, you can tell people that know how to worship because they take you with them. And uh, I've known Chase now, Pastor Chase, for 10 years. Is it 10 years and 12 years? And just to see, like, the growth of God on him and his wife, it's just phenomenal. You know, God puts godly friends in your life, and you have to go after those relationships. And you, you can ask yourself, Lord, who are these relationships that just iron sharpens iron? And seeing him and Pastor Joel, we've done ministry with them overseas. And behind closed doors, and I can say they're the real deal. You know, some people, like, they put on this front, and then behind closed doors are the real you know, their real self. Well, their real self is the same behind closed doors and on stage. You have some awesome leadership, Pastor Joel and Pastor Chase and those. Why don't we just honor them right now? We should be thankful. Man, and uh, just meeting Pastor Natalie, I know, Hillary, where is she? Oh, yeah, I, was, I just met you today, but I could just see the, the servant heart all over you. I felt like God was saying, because you have a servant's heart, he wants to use you to build the kingdom. This is, yeah, come on. Um, yeah, it never, it's always important to give honor what honors do. You know, <laughs> we were singing about Jesus there, and I'm just thinking, sometimes I daydream during worship. I, I'm just picturing, you know, one day, you know the king's coming back? One day the eastern sky is going to open. The heavens will open. And there's going to be a man that's going to break the sky. And he'll be on a white horse with many crowns. And his robe will be dipped in blood. And he'll have a name on his thighs and his, uh, his cloth that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. <laughs> in fact, when he comes back, the graves, people will be shooting out of the graves. He, the, our Lord Jesus carries so much resurrection power that where he walks, people are resurrected. That's pretty cool. And you know that spirit in us? <laughs> I was just thinking, man, your spirit's in me now, that resurrection power spirit. And there's just something I can't get away from I just want to do really quick. Um, who in here has a physical pain or sickness right now that you would like to be, you know, Jesus to heal you right now. Raise your hand. Is there anyone in here? Okay, we have a couple. Okay, keep your hands up for a minute. Anybody else? Okay, could I have those around you that believe Jesus heals? Could you lay your hands on them? Every believer that believes that Jesus is Lord and has accepted him has a resurrection power and healing will flow through you as you lay hands. Now, we're going to do something. We're going to pray for 10 seconds so you don't get into the flesh. All right? So it's not your head knowledge of praying this beautiful prayer. It's the prayer of faith, okay? So we're going to pray together with 10 seconds. Everyone just agree with us. Ready? Go. 
I, Father, I say that in the name of Jesus, your healing power goes into them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. Complete healing and wholeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. All right. Who in here can, can try something or, or see if something's changed right now? Raise, can anyone, does anyone have that right now? You know, sometimes you've got to wait till you get home and check. Who in here can test something right now? Can anyone? Raise your hand if you, can te- if you could try something, like you can move your arm or anybody right now? Are you trying something right now? Yeah? Is it getting better? Yeah. Jesus' healing power is flowing right now. You know, it doesn't take, it doesn't take like a big fancy prayer. He'll impart it in the moment. I was told this, this, this campus, the Fondren campus, is a garden, right? It's a wild garden. Is that right? <laughs> People wild for Jesus. He's good, isn't he? Yeah, keep, keep throughout the service. You're going to feel the healing power of God flowing in every one of you. Come on. The title of my message I want to share is called Saying Yes to the King. Tur- uh, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to say yes. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming and for dying, for putting your spirit on the inside of me. Thank you for just bring, bringing life to the service this evening. <laughs> Holy Spirit, we want what you have. We want your plan and your purpose, and we want to leave with an impartation from you. Jesus, speak to us in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, my name is Joab, and we have five kids, ages two to eight years old. So we, yes, we got very busy quick. I, so I joke my wife, we, had, we got married, and I call it the decade of pregnancy. And I think we're done, but you never know. So, and we've been on the mission field um, our whole married life, and in fact, I've been overseas since I was about 11 years old, and we've lived in, in Hong Kong and China, and my wife and I have lived in mainland China, and recently we've moved to the Middle East. And, you know, I am so grateful for what we have been given from the Word of God, because I've been in situations, the Lord has placed closed nations and persecuted places on our hearts, and Personally, I've been detained six times for smuggling Bibles into China. I've been followed by secret police on more than one occasion. We've had our churches shut down because police came in. We've had friends, police bust into their homes, arrest them, uh, sometimes for no, no apparent charge. I've had personal friends put in prison for years because of the gospel. And I think, man, we have it pretty good. You know, we're not sitting here wondering if the police are just going to show up in the back doors and, you know, get everyone's passport number and, you know, you're on a list now and maybe some of you will be put in prison. And you haven't grown up your whole life. I just think about growing up, having a Bible. Like, there's hundreds of millions of people that's, that don't even have a Bible or access to one. And the word, what we take for granted, the Word of God you know, Satan wants us to kind of coast. 
He wants us to be self-obsessed and not realize what we have and the power of it. When I was 15 years old, I had kind of God just visited me and imparted my future in a moment. You know, sometimes he'll do that. And it's important to remember the significance of those times. So when I was actually before that, my brother and I, we had an unusual childhood because when I was 13 and my brother was 12, we began smuggling Bibles into China on a weekly basis. You know, we thought, oh yeah, you go smuggle Bibles in the morning, come home and do school. And we thought that was normal. And did that for years. Um, and we would see the power of God work where um, we would come up to uh, border agents and see miracles where, where angels would blind guards' eyes and we could sneak the Bibles through. Isn't that cool? One time we were, we were getting our Bibles through and a guy stopped me and he opened up my bag and saw there were Bibles. And he kind of like looked down and he looked to his left and right and he leaned in real close. And he said, hallelujah. And then zipped him up and said, okay, go, go, go. Um, so you've seen those kind of miracles and power of God work. And um, it was hilarious because when I turned 14, we had been doing it so long enough that we, me and my brother became resident experts on how to smuggle Bibles. So they would literally, they'd have teams from all over the world come in to Hong Kong and every day smuggle Bibles, smuggle Bibles. And so they would say, oh, your team leaders today are this 14 and 12-year-old kid. And they, you should see their faces are like, uh, so we're going to smuggle illegal contraband into a communist nation. And we have a couple teenagers as our leaders. Okay, feel really safe here. But, I, but I'm like, we knew our roots. We knew where to go if you got stopped in different meeting locations. And if you did get stopped, what to say in, during interrogation, how to answer people. Um, how to not make eye contact during guards at certain places, how to pack your bags a certain way so they go through the scanner. I mean, we had our thing down pat. So then it, we kind of pe- set people at ease after um, we showed them the roots and stuff. But we had been doing this a couple years, and I had been seeing the power of God move, and I was still deciding what I want to do with my life. And when I was 15, my brother and I, we went on this trip to Beijing, China, which is the very north part of China. So picture this, you get on a 24-hour train ride, and you have giant bags, heavy, loaded, full of Bibles, and you're, you're on this sleeper train. Um, think of something like back in the 1960s or 70s, back in time. And so you get off the train, and normally we have a guy waiting for us at the station, and we throw in the bags full of Bibles in the van, the van drives off to some place, I don't know where, and people from all over the city come, show up at this lo- warehouse, and with backpacks, load Bibles up, and they're distributed within a few hours. I mean, I guess that's how drugs are run. I don't know. But maybe we, we could learn from their methods too. But we have the Spirit of God on our side, so come on. So, but they said this time, okay, we're in Beijing. And they said, this time one of the Chinese contacts here wants to meet you guys and collect the, book, the Bibles in person. And we said, okay, great. So we said, uh, let's meet at the hotel. So we go to the hotel room. It's me and my brother, and there's six people. Now all the other team members on our team, my dad was not with us, but we had 
six people, let's say 65 and older. And I love it. Like, you have a bunch of retired people think it'd be cool for retirement. Let's go smuggle Bibles. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I want to do when I retire. There's one lady, she was 84 years old, no joke. And I remember helping her walk, and, but she's smuggling Bibles. <laughs> this is awesome. And so uh, me and my brother are kind of the youngest little squirts on the team. And so we're sitting there in our, uh, on these hotel beds with the, on the wall, there's just stacks of books that we had smuggled in. And we're just sitting there waiting. And we hear a knock on the door. And in walks in this 90-year-old Chinese man and his 89-year-old wife. And so they come in, and they sit down, and he begins to share his testimony to us. So I didn't know who this guy was, but he began his opening statement by saying, in 1957, when communism took over, I was pastoring here in Beijing, and the government approached me and 10 pastors and asked us to form the government state-run three-self church. And I was thinking, man, like, 1957, that's like history books. This guy must be really old. All that's going through my mind is a, you know, just a teenager sitting there listening to him. I don't know who he was. And he began to share that, okay, when they approached him and asked him to do this, the Communist Party wanted to form a state-run church. His response was this, no, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not the Communist Party. We will pray for the government, but we will not. We can't form this, this uh, communist-run church. And so they then said, okay, we are now label, labeling you a counter-revolutionary, and they threw him in prison with a lifetime prison sentence. Their first task was to be sent to North China to a province called Harbin, where it gets below 40 in the winters, and they had to build their own prison by hand. And you can imagine the conditions of this prison in the 1960s in a communist nation. He said, so he said, every week they would sit him down and they would say, if you will recant your faith and deny Jesus we, and promise never to preach in his name again, we'll let you go. And he said he, he would never, he said no. Every single week he was asked this. And I'm thinking, man, that's intense because I'm thinking, okay, what would I do if I was in his situation? Because I looked over there and there's his wife. She had to raise six children during this Mao revolution where 60 million people were killed. And here she's now persecuted because I'm the counter-revolutionary in prison, but I could be released at any time. If I would just deny Jesus, what would I do? And I'm sitting there processing all this, and he keeps going. And he says, you know, it was great. I'm like, what? He said, it was great because I could share Christ with all the prisoners. And we started little small groups in the prison cells. And he said, some of the guards started to join us because they were curious. And some guards started to join the prison. Little house churches all over the prison. The government hated it because they had they kept rotating the guards. Like, oh, he got another one saved. Great. Now we have to rotate more guards in there. He said in 21 years, he never got sick one time. Miracle. A miracle. People were dying of hypothermia and just crazy stuff. The grace of God was on him. 
And through a miraculous set of events from the top, President Nixon, when he visited China in the 70s, they opened trade between the U.S. and China. And part of their deal was you, you need, they put pressure on China to say you're violating human rights, so here's a list of prisoners we want you to release. And Alan Ewan's name was on that list. So 21 years later, they sit Alan Ewan down. They said, okay, you sir, you've been here 21 years. We think you've learned your lesson. All right, we're going to let you go, but you have to promise never to preach in the name of Jesus, never to pastor your church or not meet with foreigners. Uh, yeah, right. Like, that's going to happen. So they let him go, and he, the first thing he does is goes and opens the door to his, his church. <laughs> says, we're pastoring. And he found out that because, now this is just amazing to me, you don't know the testimony of your faith when you keep the faith. He said, because he wouldn't deny his faith, all the eight other pastors that were arrested all recanted their faith except him and one person. And when, the, when, when great persecution came in that nation, people would say that the underground church just exploded and, and spread like wildfire. And people would say, if Brother Alan Ewan can stay faithful, so can we. He became this beacon of hope. So when he was released, he started traveling all over the nation and ministering to all these house churches all over and the government hated it because they couldn't put him back in prison because part of the U.S. trade deal was he had to be released. So they would arrest him, threaten him, let him go. Arrest him, threaten him, let him go. I'm thinking, man, this kind of sounds like Book of Acts, like Apostle Paul, like deja vu here. But he said he found out there were no Bibles because they were all burned during this Mao revolution. And so he said, you know, we, we started this Bible smuggling movement. And he said, that's why I'm here today, to thank you guys for bringing us Bibles, kind of signifying that, that we're part of this legacy that had been going on for 40 years that he helped start. And finally, one, one lady, older lady on our team, raised her hand, um, and she said, uh, why are you here? And he's like, what do you mean, why am I here? She said, why are, why are you here with us right now? Because here you are, 91 years old, and your 89-year-old wife, like, you don't have to be sneaking around. Like, you're not supposed to be meeting with us. I mean, just picture a 90-year-old man, 89-year-old wife, like, sneaking around alleyways, and come on, and uh, trying to, just to come to meet us. He's like, you, you, you could have sent one of your people, you know? Uh, you can be retired. And he responded with this, I will never forget it. He said, only the word of God can save China. And when I hear my foreign brothers and sisters bring us Bibles, I have to come thank them myself. When he said that, you could literally feel the presence of God just fill the room. And I remember just being, like people are just starting to cry and weep in the room. Because here's like this Billy Graham of China, the humility he had, the servant's heart to come. And he was, he was even when we were taking the Bibles out of the room, he was trying to help carry, you know, this little skinny guy trying to carry the books. We're like, no, 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 we got it. And he's like, no, no, I want to help. I want to help. Uh, just humility on a level I've never seen. Then he, he, he stands up and walks over to me and my brother. And 
starts asking what we're doing here. And I'm like, like, what do you say after you just heard him? And so I'm like, ah, uh, we, we live in Hong Kong and we do this ministry. I, I gave him a business card. Like, I don't know what to do, this legend in the faith. Like, actually, I say I look up to him, but I look down because he's a short guy. Um, I remember he took the card and he kind of looked at it and he was just so humble and he said, you know, thank you for serving the Chinese people and, and giving your life to help us. And when he said that, I remember in my heart I felt, you know, I don't feel like I've really done that much for God, especially compared to you. And you've defined what being fully surrendered looks like on a whole new level that I've never even thought possible. But in that moment, God, God kind of, something in my heart broke. And something snapped. And I said, but I want to spend the rest of my life Surrendered to you, God, and serving like a servant, the persecuted and the unreached. God, wherever you want to send me, I'll go. Take me to the hardest places. Take me to the places that no one wants to go, the forgotten people. And God kind of reached in and planted a seed in my heart from that moment on that's grown into where we are today. You know, there's a, there's a view in it, that we have to get a hold of. And if you can put on the screen, I, I didn't give them any scriptures, so I don't know if it's possible or not. But if you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Who brought your Bibles? I mean your real Bibles. Come on, you call yourselves Christian. Oh, we got one. Okay, one Christian. Oh, we got a few. Okay, all right, this morning. 2 Corinthians 5. And let's go to verse 14. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all. I love that. Who's that? That's Jesus. And therefore all died. And he died for all, that's Jesus again, that those who live, that's me, should what? Should no longer live for themselves, but rather for him who died for them and was raised again. There's a view as a believer that my life's not my own. If I've been born of him. You see, he even says in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, don't you know that your life's not your own? You've been bought with a price. So your life no longer belongs to you. In 1 Peter, he says, you, you've been bought not with perishable things such as silver and gold that, were, that redeemed you from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but rather you've been purchased with something far more precious, the blood of Jesus. So when I'm born again and born of him, I literally give up my right for my own life. Saying yes to the king. Everybody say, I'll say yes. And the thing about it is to understand that we are in a spiritual war. 
And it's not about me and my own little life. And that's what the devil wants us to get in front of us. And see, the thing is here in Ephesians 6, let's go there. Ephesians 6, 12, it, it talks about this here. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? Against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, our struggle is not against with, with people, but there's a list here of these demonic powers. Now, they're not something to be afraid of, but they are real. Some people don't believe they're real, but they're real. But we have dominion authority against them. But the thing is, they, they work through people. So a lot of times you perceive your enemy as being people, but it's not the people that is your enemy, it's the spirit working through them. Right? Because you know when man fell, when Adam sinned, these demonic powers came in and set up kingdoms all over the earth. Why? To defend against God. So you, you see, the thing is, the devil's not threatened by you and I. You're not a threat to him. What he's threatened by is if the word was put into you. Then he's threatened about what you can become. So what does he do? He comes with trials and adversity for what? For the word's sake. He comes to steal the word. He comes to steal, kill, destroy. So he's bent on destruction. Well, he wants to take what was made in the image of God, you and I, and twist it in such a way that we look nothing like what God intended. He comes because he knows he can't stop God. I mean, the devil is not going to muster up this army and kill Michael and Gabriel and then make a sneak, a sneak attack and knock God off the throne. It's not going to happen. The, de the demons hear God's name and they tremble. They're done. <laughs> they're, they're, they know that. But by now they're convinced they can stop God on the earth. And where is God on the earth? He's inside of you and I. Where is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is in you, right? So you become a target, obviously. It's not just you personally. He's, he's threatened by Jesus. He wants to stop Jesus from, from forming any kind of strength in man. So he comes to quench the kingdom out of you. He comes to steal the word and quench it and so that you become zero in the kingdom of heaven. What do I mean by that? If the word's not formed in you, you're not manifesting Christ on any level. And, and then in, in, a, in a sense, Satan's won because now you're, you're stuck and in this lie. And then he moves on to the next person. Like, he hates everybody. Sometimes we, we take it like, he's oh, he's picking on me. It's like, well, sometimes we've taught it in a way that God's up there just waiting to bless my day. And how my day is going, or not, is how much the Father loves me. 
And we taught it in this way that, and so Satan comes and we feel like, oh, the devil's picking on me. He's not picking on you. He's trying to quench and stop the kingdom of God. He's trying to steal the word from you because he believes you really love your own life more than you love him. That's what, what happens when trials come. He, he takes, we you know the thing about the devils, he, he takes a risk when he comes. He takes a risk that you will stay strong and Christ will be formed greater in your own life. He takes that risk every time. But the reason he does it is because he really believes we love our own life. How do we overcome? Revelations 12 says, We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and we love not their own life even unto death. You know, growing up, I've heard that quoted a lot of times. But I'm thinking, like, I haven't always heard that the love not your own life unto death part. Why don't we quote that part more often? So we're in a demonic war against the kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. We've had the great privilege of being rescued out of a kingdom called darkness and being translated into a kingdom of the son he loves, a kingdom of light. And we've had the great privilege to have God impart his very nature inside of me. You see, God wants to reproduce himself through the cross. But Satan also wants to reproduce himself through deception. And the devil wants you to feel just like he does. You know, the devil, he's so, he's so depressed. He's a cut-off, withering branch coming to nothing. And he knows it. He wants to take what was made in the image of God and make it feel so depraved and cut off from the Father that it looks nothing like what you look nothing like what God intended. And that's why Jesus said when he came to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. You know, I think of sometimes I've heard you hear you think of it, you might think of it in a negative connotation. But honestly, Think about this for a minute. When Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny what? Yourself. What is Jesus asking us to deny? He's asking us to deny everything that we gained through the fall of man. He's asking us to deny the sinful nature that he cursed on that cross. Because he's asking us to deny everything that keeps us from becoming who he made us to be all along. And that's made in his image. And so when I, have, when I decide to deny self, my life's not my own. I've been bought with a price. I no longer belong to myself. I belong to the king. I've been rescued from the dominion of darkness I now follow a new king. He puts his nature inside of me. I now have the great privilege to look just like Jesus. And I have the capacity now to lay my life down just like he did. It's a bigger picture than just living for self. I remember meditating on John 3.16 and, you know, most people know this powerful scripture. For God so loved the world that he sent his son to die. 
that whoever would believe would receive eternal life. I was like, man, Jesus, you're amazing. You really came. You really died. Like, like hold on. You think about this. The miracle it took to make the one who all things were made by him and for him and through him to become a seed and be put into the womb of a woman. You know, for him to be in there nine months and come out as a baby. Like, I, I think about this stuff. That's bigger than just inconvenience. Like, he didn't have to do that. And he said, follow me. I think, man. And, and, and when I was meditating on that, the Lord spoke to me really strong in my spirit. He said, Joab, I still so love the world that I'm sending you to go die so that all who believe the message you speak will cling to the Son and be resurrected with Him in the last day. It's amazing. What a privilege. <laughs> like when you really get to know the Father, it's a privilege to go die for Him. Because in Philippians 2, Paul talks about having the same mind of Christ. You know, having, if you've heard that scripture before, Paul says, you having the same mind of Christ who being very, in very nature God, he's talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, humbling himself even to death, death on a cross. And then he was resurrected, so God raised him up. And it's the idea of, yes, you've been delivered. Yes, you are now a son of the king. You're going to heaven forever. But... Now you have the privilege to lay all your rights down and go to the low place so that others can hear the message and cling to the Son. It's because now we think like He thinks, which is not for self. Did you know the only... Did you know God has one motive? Our Father has a single motive. Jesus talked about this. He said... If your eye is single, he said, if your eye is single, then great is the light. But if your eye is looking at darkness, then how dark is the darkness that remains? What he's talking about is when you fix your eye on truth, who he is, that light comes and transforms you and you think like your father thinks. You know, Wonder of God was everything he was, almighty, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent. Wonder if he was all those things, the beginning and the end. But he wasn't love. Just think with me for a minute here. Wonder if he wasn't love. Wonder if, wonder if he just didn't like you. Wonder if he was biased and your personality just rubbed him the wrong way. And now you have to kind of come to him and prove yourself so he could get over all the little misnomers and things and promises you made to him that you broke. You know, I wonder if God just had meetings in heaven and said, you know, well, Sally, she, she missed it again. Think of all the times I've given her and I spilled my blood for her. And she goes and does this. Like, how do I know she's going to be right? She's going to really change this time. 
You know, it's crazy to think of God like that. But if I'm made in his image, I'm designed to think like him. And I remember, and God spoke to me, he said, you know, Joab, my only motive is love. Everything God has ever done from the beginning to the end is with the eye of love. It's with the eye of laying your life down for the sake of another because I've been connected with him. I'm intimate with him. And, you know, you can't just go and hear messages like this and stuff and just go bite your lip and try to be a good Christian. This comes with intimacy with our Father. And, and Satan knows that. You know, he knows that. So what does he do? He wants to cut off your intimacy with the Father. Because he knows if you're not intimate with the Father, then you'll never look like Jesus. Because if the Father is like, if there's something between you two, and maybe you, you believe God's real, but he's not a loving Father... Well, you'll serve him, but you'll always have this thing in your heart against him. And you'll never look like he looks, because you'll be doing it with wrong motive. You think about 1 Corinthians 13. It starts off by saying, If I have the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I have the gift of faith that can move mountains and have not love, it's a zero. In fact, he said, If I have all wisdom and all knowledge and prophecy and have not love, It's worthless. Like, those are some extreme examples. And I believe Paul was intentional about making this point. Which is God saying, I don't care what you do. If you don't have my motive, it is not of me. That's some pretty heavy stuff. How do you get his motive? You know, you read 1 Corinthians 13, and it says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. But you just change it and put God in there. God is patient, He is kind. He believes the best at all times. He is patient. He's always believing truth. Always never giving up on people. And He's saying, you're my son, you're my daughter, and you're designed to think like I think. So if that's true... What right do I ever have to take offense ever again? Why do I reserve the right to, because of something else someone did, now I reserve the right to give up my sonship and now walk back into the sinful nature and the flesh because they did something that was wrong and now they deserve for me to walk in the flesh and I take offense. That's literally what happens. So Satan knows this, so he's like, okay. He comes and pokes to test the word. So he's like, ooh, I got him right there. So I know every time that Christ is being formed in their life, all I have to do is come around here and poke at them in the flesh at this point, and they revert to a mere unsaved man, and I've got him at the ceiling of the flesh. Come on, truth sets us free. We need to get truth into us and know the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And not just on a Sunday or Sunday night, but every morning, every day, talk to the Father. You know, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I think about that. Man, the Son of God, Jesus himself, often withdrawing to lonely places and praying to the Father. And I thought, wow. So here we have God. Why does, like, I think about this, why does God need to talk to God? 
if he's already God, and then he had the Spirit of God come like a dove and go on him. So now it's like this Trinity powwow going on. So much to the point the disciples noticed that, and they wrote about it. And I thought, man, in fact, it says in John, uh, is it Luke 6, that Jesus prayed all night one time and then chose the 12. And I thought, if someone, if, if Luke was following me around, what I do, what would he say Joab often withdraws to lonely places and does? Fill in the blank. Because that reveals who I'm intimate with. And how can I manifest the Father if I'm not intimate with him? I can't. It's just a bunch of head knowledge. It's not that I really know the Father. Because to know him is to become like him. It's that simple. I mean, the gospel is amazing and it's simple. To know him is to become like him. And it is very, very, very important to know the Son. Because the Son reveals the Father. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit's on the earth, revealing Jesus. He points us to the Jesus in the Word. He's pushing, he's convicting all men to truth. And, you, and you, you just pour in and talk to the Father about who he is and the nature of Jesus on the earth. And it reveals who the Father is. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you see his heart and who he is. And you become intimate with him. And, he, and grace comes. And, 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 you, and conviction grows in your own heart. Because you're like, Father, man, you know, your conscience begins to wake up. And you, you go to the Father and you're like, Lord, if there is anything that's in me that's not in you, I don't want it. I want nothing to do with it. Father, make my motive as clean and pure as your motive. Because I'm your son and you made me in your image and I have the capacity to walk in love towards man. And I think about what Jesus did and how he was on the earth and how men tried to change who he was. And men could not change who he was, but he changed who men were because he was so locked into love and one with the Father. Oh, that's what I want on the earth. I covet that. I want him. It comes from hours and hours of being with him and wanting the Father, studying who he is in the word until you find him. Then when, when you get to this place, it's easy to lay your life down like Brother Alan Ewan did and surrender everything. To, he's not trying to do it, like put his flesh down. He's one with the Father. We're not trying to, sometimes we're trying to feel fulfilled doing ministry. Well, we should already be fulfilled in who we are with him. Ministry is an outflowing of my personal relationship with my Father. I should already be having a good day. And I don't give anyone the right to offend me. You don't have a right to offend me because you're not my Lord. And the moment I take offense, I make you Lord because now you determine how I feel. Ooh, that's good preaching. Come on, somebody. No, no one has the right to change how I feel unless his name is Jesus. Is this all right? Oh, when does service end? Okay. Sorry, guys. Okay. Whatever my wife says. And so there's people back there watching our kids. I bless them with grace and mercy in the name of Jesus. Okay, think about this. 
Who has here seen movies about um, World War I? Um, you, you've seen these, 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 you know, we've seen pictures and studied history. And, you know, when you go to war, who are you fighting for? Are you fighting for yourself? No, you're fighting for your nation. And you think about these guys that are in these trenches, right? They're in these trenches sitting there sometimes for days. And I, and I think about these, how they did it. Like the food is not ample. The water is not ample. The hygiene is terrible. Sometimes they have to stay awake for days. Sickness is going around. Are they, are they there for themselves? No, they're there for a cause greater than themselves. They're fighting for a purpose even beyond their own household. You know, sometimes we get so fixated on my own household, my own family and kids. You know, family and kids is great. But at the same time, every other person's family and children are just as important and valuable to the Father as my own. And if I'm so fixated on self, who's going to manifest the King and Jesus' love towards those people? And there's a mindset you can get into where you say, and you read through the Bible where it says, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful, be like a good soldier. Don't mess with the affairs of the civilian life because you're a member of another kingdom. Like it's all throughout the Bible. And so, if God said, I'm a foreigner on the earth and I fight for a king, kingdom of not of this earth, how dare I live like a local? How dare, it, like we're... We're so different than the world system. And you have to fight to stay in that place of surrender to where, you know, those guys sitting in those trenches are probably there a lot longer than they'd like to be. And, and when we are go through hard times, sometimes we complain about it so much and we reveal that we're only in it for how we feel right now rather than for him and his glory. Sometimes we're, doing, we're, we're suffering because of our own mistakes. And that's the time to say, you know, Father, I made mistakes. I ask for grace. Right now, I fall on grace, Father. I repent. I, I, I ask for grace. Help me through this. Other times, you're going through hard times, not because of anything you did. It's because the enemy is trying to quench the kingdom in you. And you're like, wow. Okay, take a step back here. Say a breathe. Wow, I see what's going on here. This is an opportunity to allow Christ to be formed in my life. I think about the story Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That flips me out, the story. So you have three guys that were to bow to the king or be thrown into the fire, and they wouldn't do it, right? So the, the king says, I'll give you one more chance. You bow, just like Satan saying, you bow. And they said, know this, O king, that even if you throw us into the fire, God is Lord. <laughs> oh, that's pretty bold. The king gets so mad, so what does he do? Crank it up seven times hotter. Like, the first fire is not going to kill him. You know, what is that like? It's like Satan. He's like, okay, 
tough guy Christian, hot shot. So you think you're, you're, you heard this word and you're going to be strong. Well, I'm just going to turn them adversity seven times harder. Because I believe you will bow. Sometimes as believers, we're so fixated on the fire. We're freaked out about the fire. So we're like, Lord, put out the fire. Angels come with water and pour it out. <laughs> Blow the fire out. The problem is not the fire. The problem is wrong believing. And what happened? How much better to go through the fire without the smell of smoke and meet the king of kings in the fire because of the one you believe. And it's so testified that the king (laughs) changed his allegiance real quick. Man, we got to get our eyes off of these circumstances and get our eyes on the king, the Lord of lords. Because it's not, you know, in the map of eternity, our life doesn't even show up. Not even a blimp. <laughs> but yet, it, this, this time speaks for all eternity. We have the great privilege right now. This is the only time you'll get to manifest walking by faith on the earth in the face of adversity. Literally, to reveal the glory of the Father. You know, Ephesians says that we are the glory on the earth towards the rulers of this age. So we are a testimony against the rulers of this age when you walk by faith and are one with him. There's, um, man, can I have the band come up? You know, in Mark 3, 13, I'm going to close with the story in a minute. But in Mark 13, um, I could have someone just play keys really quietly on the, on the stage. That would be great. Thanks. Um, in Mark 3, 13, it says, Jesus went to a mountainside and called those he wanted. And they came to him. I love that. Jesus want, wanted them. He wants you. Everybody say, Jesus wants me. (laughs) And they came to him, and he appointed the twelve that they might be with him, and that he might give them authority to drive out demons. So picture this. Here's Jesus. He wants you. He calls you to himself. You come to him. You come to be with him first. And then he gives authority And you go out from his presence with that authority to what? To manifest his kingdom. You're not building your own empire kingdom. But because you've been with him, his fragrance has come upon you. And sometimes I think like the authority of the name of Jesus, dominion, power, like all these things. I don't know if we as a church have stewarded them in a way Because largely to the point we don't know why we have them. And we've used the gospel to secure a better life on the earth. We've we've understood and thought and taught the gospel in a way that it's designed to serve me and serve my flesh. And let me tell you, the gospel is not designed to serve you. It's designed to change you. It's designed to go to the deep places of your heart, like she was saying in worship. 
and remove the stony heart and replace it with a heart of flesh that looks like his heart. It's designed to change you to look like Jesus and realize that we're not here. This is not eternity. We're here on a mission and a purpose for a short time to manifest Jesus. So last year, um, so we've done ministry in China for years and years. And when COVID hit, we actually came to the States to adopt our little girl. And uh, COVID hit and we couldn't get back. (laughs) Imagine leaving your home thinking you'll be right back in a couple months. And then you still can't get back two years later. We only had like two bags with us. So that's what happened. And we're like, well, you know, you've commissioned us, Lord, to preach the gospel in nations um, send us. Here we are, send us. And so we began doing work in the Middle East, and we actually moved there this year. And last year I was making trips to Iraq, and I took, um, during the, one of these trips, I met this young man, his name is Zane. He's 17 years old. And I met him at this under this small kind of underground church, and he we immediately connected right away. Um, and so we exchanged WhatsApp, which is like, if you don't know what WhatsApp is, it's, it's messaging. Who knows what WhatsApp is? All right, ask somebody what WhatsApp is if you don't know. So we've been, we were talking, like every month I would encourage him, he would encourage me. And he, him and his sister, his sister's 13, he's 17, had recently become believers. And they were hiding from their parents This is some heavy stuff because of their transition to Christianity. And their parents were looking for them, and they were being transferred from house to house. Some missionaries were housing them. And, you know, talk about how do you encourage someone like that? Who's ever gone through that kind of intense experience in an Islamic nation where, you know, it's really dangerous? And that's where you do a heart posture. You're like, Lord, am I willing to lay my life down? For the gospel? Am I willing to go to prison? Because if I am, if the answer is yes, then the Spirit of God, I've surrendered to Him. My life's not my own. I'll go wherever you tell me, Lord. Um, then the Spirit of God can encourage through you someone you think you couldn't encourage. And so for months, we would, every month, we would talk, we would do voice calls. And, and so it was really good. And then I was back in October. And we were doing ministry and stuff. And, you know, a lot of times you meet someone like this and you don't know when the next time you'll see them again. It's just how it works in these intense situations. That's why Paul said, don't forsake the meeting of yourselves together. Do you know why he said that? Because a lot during that time was, there was heavy persecution. And many times people didn't know when they'd see each other again. And they understood that they were the, the gratefulness that we as believers could meet together. Sometimes I think, why is Satan threatened by those things? Threatened by when believers gather. Threatened by when believers get the word. And we, we gather to worship and we scatter to evangelize. So, anyways, uh, the Lord spoke to me one night and he said, Joab, I want you to, then next morning, the last day I was there, I want you to find Zane, meet with him, and talk to him about the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I messaged Zane. And at this point, he had been transferred to a facility for children 
that were hiding from their parents, like run by the UN. It was a very intense situation. Um, and so he responded and saying, oh, I, I don't know if I can leave this compound, this facility, because we're, you know, we're stuck here and there's guards at the gates with guns and they, don't, they just don't let people leave. And I'm like, well, maybe you could sneak out. Like, I don't know, like, I knew where he was supposed to meet me, and sometimes you have the spirit of faith come on you, and you don't know how something's going to work out, but you know God said it. So the next morning, he's like, okay, I'm going to try to sneak out. We'll see if I can meet you. So I pull up my Toyota 4Runner a block away from this compound so the, the guards could not see him meet me or get in the car. I messaged him that I'm here. About three minutes later, I see him. He snuck out, walked around the block. I saw him. He got in the car. And he said, Joab, I have one hour before they'll know I'm gone. And so we drive to the only coffee shop in the city. It's called uh, Donut World. <laughs> so we go to Donut World and I have one hour and I'm just sharing with him truth, telling him about Jesus, telling him about the Holy Spirit. Because in Islam, they believe that Jesus was a prophet not the Son of God, they believe Jesus was a prophet, and that he prophesied the coming of Muhammad to show the way of truth. I'm like, well, that's actually not true. He prophesied the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's important you know this and, believe, and receive him. And so we got back in the car, and I said, you know, they talked about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be baptized? He said, yes. I laid my hands on him, and he started speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit just fell on him. And I think, man, this is a kid, like, he's never had any teaching, not grown up in church. And he just had a heart posture of wanting God and openness. And God just poured onto him. And we're driving back to the compound, okay? And he was saying, you know, oh, I'm just getting a little nervous because, and what if they notice I'm gone, you know, and I'm not supposed to have met with you. And I was like, oh, man, it's okay, Zane. Like, let's just pray right now. Let's pray. The peace of God will come. Pray in the Spirit. And we prayed all the way back. The presence of God filled that car. And we get back there. And then he said this. Absolutely rocked my world. He said, you know, me and my sister. So he was 17. His sister was 14. She had turned 14 by then. He said, the leadership at this compound met with us. And they're all Islamic. Everyone's Islamic there at the leadership. And they said... Next week, you're going to appear before a judge that will determine your case. But you have to tell the judge you are Muslim or we cannot help you. So Zayn said he met with his sister and they talked about it. And they decided as brother and sister, they cannot deny Jesus. In the face of not knowing anything in their future, and I thought about, man, think about it. This kid's 17 years old and the integrity he had. I pray I would have that integrity if I was in a situation to not deny Christ in the face of complete uncertainty. He didn't have a group of people encouraging him or this Bible study he went to. He had none of that. He just heard Jesus and believed and laid his life, said, Jesus, you're real. I know you're real and I want you. Sometimes in the West, we've taught the gospel in a way, you know, you believe in Jesus, you're going to get that promotion, that good job, all the stuff's going to come, your life's going to turn into an amazing garden, 
and a lot of that's true, I understand. But over there, you teach the gospel and you say, you know what? You believe in Jesus, you may never see your parents again. You may be persecuted the rest of your life. You may be beaten for it and you may die. It puts a whole new light on when Jesus said, I've come to separate parents and children and brothers and sisters and to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Like sometimes I think those guys almost have a better understanding of how the kingdom works than sometimes when it's designed around self. Man, he challenged me. I like, Lord, may I never forget this moment. This, it sobers you. It keeps you on point. It keeps you in like a militant position to say, I will say yes to the king at all times. And so, man, I'm just processing what he said, and we get to the compound. I hug him. Still don't know if I'll ever see him again. That's just the reality of the situation. He gets out. He goes back into the compound. About three hours later, he um, messages me, and he's like, you know, uh, he's a teenager, and he talks like a teenager. It's hilarious. So he, he says, hey, man, guess what? The guards didn't even notice I was, I was gone. Whoa. <laughs> like, man, yeah, that's the, that's the Holy Spirit. And he's like, yeah, it was amazing. And he said, you know, for the first time in my life, I have this boldness that came on me. And I shared Jesus with some of the other kids here in this compound. I've never shared Jesus with anyone. He said, there was this kid that was from China here. And I said, hey, I know a guy that lived in China. And he was like, whoa. And I was like, whoa. It's like literally what he said. But it was amazing But because he received boldness when he had received the Holy Spirit. Can everyone stand up? We're going we're gonna to close. If you can just sing a closing song, it would be great. Um, I, want, I want us to do, as we're singing this, kind of a heart commitment recheck with the Father. And just, you don't need anyone to lay hands on you. You just need a correct posture. And no matter how far you've gone with him, there's always more of him. Right? You think you've gone to a certain place, but there's a higher level. There's more of him. So just take this moment to surrender to him as we sing in closing. Thank you, guys.